and welcome to the Iran Podcast. I'm Negar Murtazavi in Washington, D.C. In this episode, we talk about Iran's presidential election next month in June and the candidates who have been qualified to run for the election and those who have been disqualified and how this election marks a turning point for the country for all the wrong reasons. My guest today is Sina Tusi, a senior research analyst at the National Iranian American Council here in Washington, who focuses on Iranian politics, U.S.-Iran relations, and U.S. policy towards the Middle East. Sina previously worked as a researcher at Princeton University. Sina, welcome to the Iran Podcast. Hey, Negar. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's great to have you. Um, Let's start by giving an overview of what's going on with the qualification or the disqualification um, of the candidates for the presidency. We knew a number of candidates. I mean, a large uh, number of people registered for the election, but the top candidates that people were expecting to run um, have not all been qualified by the Guardian Council, and it's just a small number that have been left. You also had this piece in the Responsible Statecraft titled, Mass Disqualifications Set the Stage for Iran's Presidential Election explaining how reformists are basically mostly out of the picture and the contest will now serve as a formality for hardliners. Talk about that. Yes. So I think first it's important to emphasize that, you know, elections in Iran have never been free or fair. They've always been within the limited spectrum of the Islamic Republic's acceptable politics. So, you know, the default has always been uh, you know, candidates who accept this, accept this kind of theocratic system as it is, accept, you know, all of the restrictions, so, you know, on social rights and political rights. So it's always been within these narrow confines. And, but within those confines, there generally, especially in presidential elections, been competitive elections. And there have been worldviews um, offered uh, at the ba- ballot box between these different uh, candidates that have been consequential in terms of uh, many of Iran's policies, both domestic and foreign. And for example, you know, we've seen in the past where, you know, the hardliner Ahmadinejad was president for eight years and the kind of policies he enacted domestically uh, and abroad. And then, you know, followed by Rouhani for these past eight years and how he, you know, negotiated with the United States for for years and negotiated the nuclear deal and uh, tried to push for uh, changing some of Iran's policies. But this election really is an inflection point in kind of Iran's uh, kind of contemporary politics as we've known it. And we've seen that the Guardian Council, which is this this powerful kind of theocratic body that vets legislation, vets the eligibility of candidates seeking office, and it's comprised of clerics and jurists, that for this election, we saw that, you know, 592 people registered to run in this election, including over 40 women, including prominent, prominent reformists and moderates. And of course, going into this election, the overall public sentiment is very much uh, apathetic or actively against participating. And I think we should get into that later, Nagar. But um, right now, we've seen that they've disqualified all the prominent moderates, all the po- prominent reformists, and they really just paved the path for the prominent hardliner in this race, who's uh, Ibrahim Raisi, who's the current judiciary chief, for him to basically have a no serious challengers and just coast to the presidency. 
And, I, you know, the implications for what this means for kind of Iran's foreign policy, for kind of the trajectory of Iran going forward, and even the secession to Khamenei, I think it's going to be very significant. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's talk about some of these candidates who have been qualified and some of the prominent ones who have actually been disqualified a little more in details. As you said, the prominent hardliner who is set to run right now is Ebrahim Raisi, the current head of Iran's judiciary. He's a very controversial figure with a controversial past. And he, interestingly, he ran previously for president against Hassan Rouhani and lost. And it seems like that was probably an embarrassing loss for uh, someone with higher ambitions than just presidency. Talk about Ibrahim Raisi and the other hardliners who have been qualified and then also some of the prominent candidates who have been disqualified from running, including Ali Larijani, who is also seen as a hardliner, but more of a centrist um, figure in the hardline camp. Yeah, so Raisi... His past is in Iran's judicial system. And going back into the early years after the revolution in the 80s and 90s, he is a product of Iran's judiciary. And by you know, coming out of that, you know, that system, he's had a, you know, many abuses and human rights abuses attached to his name. And in the 2017 presidential election, where he, he was the main challenge to Rouhani when Rouhani was seeking his re-election, he, he got about 16 million votes, Raisi did, and Rouhani got 24 million votes, and you know he, he won that election. But in that race, there was actually a tape that surfaced, and this tape went back to the 80s. And it was from the ni- ni- in 1988, when at the tail end of the Iran-Iraq war, the Iranian government, the Islamic Republic government, they executed a a host, thousands of political prisoners in these sham trials, you know, people, you know, even like minute long trials, I've heard that reference and used in reference to these elections. And so during that time, uh, this person, Ayatollah Montaziri, who was the designated successor to Ayatollah Khomeini, who had founded the Islamic Republic, he was strongly against these executions. And he was pushing, you know, against these happening very strongly at the time. And it actually ultimately, this and other events led to him losing his position in the Islamic Republic, losing his status as the successor to Khomeini and ultimately coming under house arrest afterwards. But so this tape surfaced in uh, the 2017 presidential election where Montaziri is talking and he's addressing these four people from Iran's judiciary, including Ebrahim Raisi. And he was telling them that they are committing this great crime, this great atrocity in, in executing all these people. And that, you know, history is going to remember them and condemn them for it. So, you know, Raisi is someone who has this very dark history. He, he has this, this role in these kind of, even in these mass executions back in 1988. But regardless, you know, he's elevated up the ranks in, in kind of the Islamic Republic's uh, official dim. And he... Um, he headed this also this very major kind of religious uh, institution and foundation in Iran called Astana Gotse Razavi, which kind of is one of Iran's largest uh, religious foundations. And it's also a very prominent role, you know, that kind of signified that he was kind of moving up the, the ranks in the Islamic Republic. And then after that, in uh, 2019, in March of 2019, uh, he was appointed by the Supreme Leader Khamenei as the judiciary chief, you know, the head of 
one of these, there's three branches of government, basically, you know, the executive legislature and um, the judiciary in Iran, along with, you know, a lot of other centers of power that are important, but uh, he, he headed the, he, he's been the head of the judiciary. So this is, you know, Raisi's background and, you know, given this, his past and he was affiliated with the kind of conservative hardline camp. And these are the figures he's surrounding himself with. Um, you know, we uh, we'll get more into it, but I think you know, for foreign pol- Iran's foreign policy, it'll have implications. And for his domestic, domestically, you know, many people, it's been widely speculated that Raisi is being groomed to be the successor to Khamenei. Mm-hmm. Khamenei is, you know, as you know, is over eighty years old. Uh, rumored to be, you know, there's been these rumors that have existed. Uh, I haven't seen much evidence behind them, but there's rumors that he's ill or he has cancer potentially. Regardless, you know, um, you know, this, like, there is a looming succession that's going to happen in Iran. And Reisi is considered, you know, the, one of the main contenders and he's, he's been groomed for it by a lot of these power centers in Iran, a lot of the kind of more conservative, entrenched conservative forces. And, you know, but he lost the 2017 election. So obviously, you know, without him having, you know, ever been in the executive branch or had this kind of experience, it would make him a poor candidate ostensibly to become supreme leader and to never, you know, he's never really had a public mandate, you know, even within the Islamic Republic and despite all the obvious kind of constraints there and kind of, you know, the credibility of a lot of their elections, but he's never even, you know, won a vote within that system. Mm -hmm. So anyways, this election was was a real kind of, um, important kind of uh, kind of point in in Reisi's career where, you know, he if he indeed aspires to be supreme leader, which there are many indications that he does, that he needs to win this election. So I think we've seen that this, the system, the powers that be, these kind of hardline uh, institutions in Iran, they're trying to make sure that there's no risk that he loses this election. So I think to that extent, you know, that explains a lot of these kind of mass disqualifications. The fact that even Ali Larijani, even this uh, who comes from the conservative establishment in Iran, but the more pragmatic wing of that conservative establishment, he's been disqualified. Much less, you know, Zarif was really, you know, Foreign Minister Zarif was vociferously attacked these past couple months and ended up not even running. All the prominent reformists, moderates, they've all been kind of... uh, uh, prevent, you know, been disqualified. So right now we have this scenario where Reisi is, you know, he's had this this sharp rise in Iranian politics. He's set to, you know, we'll see how this election pays out, but he has no serious challengers. And if he wins, you know, in terms of Iran's succession, Iran's future long term, you know, it's, it really is a consolidation of power by this hardline camp. And, you know, the forces behind Reisi who by all accounts are trying to really elevate him to the most senior position within the Islamic Republic. Mm -hmm. And speaking of the uh, leadership or supreme leader in the path to succession, there isn't really a set um, process to become leader. I mean, the Islamic Republic has only had two leaders. The first one was Ruhollah Khomeini, who was basically the leader of the revolution. So he launched a revolution. That's one path. And then there's um, Ali Khamenei, who was, as you said, president in the past. So it seems like the path 
um, to leadership for those who are hopeful or have the ambition um, could be what Khamenei's path was, which was presidency before becoming leader. And um, that's apparently one path that Ibrahim Raisi is trying to sort of carve for himself. And considering that defeat against Rouhani, if he enters the race and loses one more time, that could um, jeopardize um, his path or this image of popularity for eventually becoming the leader of the country. And as you said, interestingly, Ali Larijani, who was former Speaker of the Parliament, is also seen as a hardline figure, but a serious competition to um, rise in the election. And now when you talk to Iranians, Iran watchers, it's just um, evident that Raisi is, or at least seen as the shoo-in candidate with a, a sort of um, easy path to presidency. Now let's talk about some of the uh, reformists. We know a number of reformists were trying to run. There was um, a lot of discussions and um, even disagreements in the reformist camp, the various reformist political parties on who they can uh, sort of unite behind. Eshaq Jahangiri was seen as one figure. He has been disqualified. Um, there was also Mustafa Tajzadeh, who registered as more of a progressive reformist. He has been disqualified. And there's only really one or two figures that are left as sort of reformists or moderates. Talk about that camp and who has been um, seen as maybe the potential candidate for the reformists or moderates? Yes. So I think, you know, the reformist movement in Iran has been in dire straits and, you know, for a number of reasons. And I think, you know, this context is critically important to like how this election is shaping up. You know, Rouhani, when he won, he won in 2015, he ran as a moderate who also was not a traditional reformist. He was allied with the reformists. You know, there's this outswell, outpouring of public support in his for his election and then for the negotiations that led to the nuclear deal. And then, you know, people really had a lot of high expectations with the nuclear deal, and a lot of high hopes that things would change, that their lives would improve, that Iran's relations with the outside world would improve. And the past four years really have really uh, politically really harmed the, the reformist movement. And for a number of factors, you know, you've seen growing pu public disillusionment with the potential for, for reforming uh, the, the system as it is. And, you know, where people had these hopes in, in Rouhani and they saw that things did not play out how they ultimately wanted on and a lot of the domestic issues, on foreign policy, for them to have broader rights, broader freedoms, less restrictions, better relations with the world. And I think ultimately one of the biggest kind of factors here is American pressure and the role that American policy plays inside Iran and on Iran's political balance, which has always been a, a major force. And we've seen that over the past couple decades, and we could review this history, but just with, with Rouhani, that, that you know, they, Rouhani spent all of his political capital really on negotiating the nuclear deal and, and promise, making these promises to the Iranian people, which, and, America, as we know, under Donald Trump, they ultimately, ren the U.S. reneged on the nuclear deal and imposed these very severe draconian sanctions that have impoverished the Iranian people and created this humanitarian crisis in the country. So, and, you know, and it's also decimated Rouhani's political capital and greatly empowered the hardliners over these past couple of years. You know, we've seen this very unprecedented kind of consolidation of power. 
taking over all the various branches of government, really, you know, attacking Rouhani, Zarif, making him a lame duck, all these kind of campaigns to, you know, basically even cast Rouhani and Zarif and their allies as kind of traitors or they're these infiltrators who are trying to topple the system from within and trying to reverse a lot of the trends that, you know, the JCPOA set into motion in terms of increased openness, economic integration with the world. So the hardliners have really made a lot of gains these past couple of years. But right now, heading into this election, which, you know, and there's also, I think, another important thing we should talk about is, you know, there's been these uh, this, these on these brutal crackdowns in the past couple of years where we saw in, in November 2019, where, you know, after the price of gasoline was was abruptly raised, that, you know, the government cracked down on these these countrywide protests. And according to Amnesty International, 300 people, at least 300 people were killed. So going into this election, you know, there's this growing public, uh, not just apathy, but even anger at participating in, in the election and, and, you know, many people not wanting to vote. And, but, you know, the reformists have, have uh, tried to, you know, maintain, create some momentum and try to maintain a position, you know, within, within the system and try to, you know, put forward candidates that could ultimately push back against the hardliners in the presidential race and have a chance of winning and preventing, you know, total takeover by these very reactionary elements of the Iranian system. And so, yeah, we saw, you know, Mostafa Tajzadeh, this, this reformist dissident who's been very outspoken. He's had these big rooms on Clubhouse with tens of thousands of people listening in recent weeks. He was disqualified. Um, you know, these other prominent reformists, Rouhani's first vice president, Esok Jahangiri, was disqualified. And, you know, as we said, Lari Jani, who is kind of a continuation, I would argue, of the kind of prag- pragmatic approach of Rouhani to a lot of foreign and domestic policies and would have... I think Larry Johnny could have, you know, continued a kind of uh, approach of engagement with the world and even the West. But now he's been disqualified too. But the two reformist kind of moderate candidates who have been approved by the Guardian Council are less known and not really politicians, or they don't really carry a lot of political weight. And in the case, you know, at least not for a long time. So one of them is the incumbent uh, central bank governor, Abdul Nasser Hemmati. He's more of a technocrat. He's closely associated with uh, kind of Rouhani, Rouhani's economic policies, which are very unpopular. But nonetheless, you know, he's had a role in kind of keeping Iran's economy afloat and, you know, not kind of it collapsing completely under this maximum pressure policy of Trump. And but he's not political heavyweight. He's not someone whose word is going to really carry, I think, you know, much uh, weight, even if he were, you know, became president. But regardless, I think he's going to be a force in these in this election where uh, in these televised debates where he's going to be pushing back against Ray E.C. and these hardliners. The other reformist candidate is uh, Mohsen Meh Alizadeh. Mm-hmm. He's a he was the governor of Esfahan and a former official in Khatami. But he's, from my understanding, has largely been uh, kind of not that active in the political sphere for a long time. And, you know, ultimately the reformist coalition, the reformist front coalition that over the past several months has been debating and meeting about who to endorse, what their election path to victory would be. They didn't, they didn't, none of their candidates were approved. And they've been very uh, outspoken these past, this past week saying that, you know, none of their candidates that they, they've wanted to run in this election have been approved and they don't support any of these candidates in the election. So right now, you know, Ray Isi, and there's all these other hardliners who have been approved as well who are basically going to be supporting him. That he has a really, you know, easy, straightforward, uncontested, uh, largely path to 
the presidency. Mm-hmm. And you had, uh, Sina, you had this piece in Foreign Policy magazine titled The Islamic Republic's Republic is Dying. And you explain how uh, this upcoming presidential election in June marks a turning point for the country, as the headline says, for all the wrong reasons. Um, you talk about disqualifications in the past, mentioned the parliamentary election, the same pattern of disqualification, but then you explain how this is this this round of disqualifications is sort of a turning point. Talk about this and how the republic is being taken out of the Islamic Republic. So the Islamic Republic obviously you know, very authoritarian system in many ways, many, you know, limits on, on many freedoms, but as it has existed, you know, it's laid claim both to being this kind of Shia theocracy and having these Republican elements. And even for Khomeini, who's the founder of this system, you know, the way he established the system, it was kind of this blend of these, his interpretation of these Shia political philosophies and kind of Western republicanism and, and elect, electoral politics. So we've seen in Iran that there's there's been a parliament, there's been a president. You know, in the 80s, there was a prime minister. But at the same time, there's been these theocratic bodies, like a guardian council, the supreme leader. And, you know, the, these theocratic bodies, compared to the kind of republican institutions, they've had dominance. And really, the political fault line in Iran, really, especially since the 90s, has been really between these forces within the system who wanted to empower and strengthen these kind of more republican elements and kind of reform these theocratic bodies versus these kind of more diehard theocrats who are trying to preserve these theocratic elements and kind of weaken the Republican elements of the system. And those forces have always had an inherent advantage, those more hardline theocratic forces. But we've seen, you know, this kind of back and forth over the past couple decades where the reformists, you know, when they're allowed to run, they've generally done very well in elections. You know, Khatami winning in 1997, you know, various parliamentary elections that they've won when they're allowed to run their candidates, um, Rouhani's victory. But uh, the the kind of, you know, these theocratic forces and like the Guardian Council, they basically play a game of whack-a-mole, like I put in this article, where, you know, when there are these promising candidates or when reformers seem like, you know, they are, you know, taking kind of uh, control of these various bodies, they just disqualify, you know, many of them, they cast them out of the system, you know, Alongside this, there's crackdowns, arrests, a lot of that as well. So we've seen this pattern play out where, you know, for example, Khatami won the 1997 election in the one of the subsequent parliamentary elections when he was in power in 2004, mass disqualifications of reformists, conservatives, you know, controlled that following parliament. Um, you know, Rouhani came to power you know, through these elections. And we saw that in 2017, in the, in the following parliamentary election, which was last year in 2020, mass disqualifications. And now we've had this hardline dom- controlled parliament. But this time, you know, I would argue it goes above and beyond this pattern that we've seen. And these hardliners, you know, the Trump era actually was a historic opportunity for them to consolidate power. You know, a lot of their narratives about distrusting the U.S. and casting their kind of moderate rivals as naive and incompetent. Those narratives were, were, you know, for many people proven true by Trump's actions. And so they kind of, you know, have been really empowered these past couple of years. And we've seen that, you know, Ray Isi, even in his kind of uh, 
in his post as judiciary chief, he's trying to build up public support. And he's he's been enacted this this huge actually anti-corruption drive, which is partly, you know, largely aimed at consolidating his power, his political camp's power, but also, you know, a lot of arrests and of a lot, you know, various people, corrupt actors uh, from these various institutions in Iran, including the judiciary, actually. So that has actually, according to, you know, polling done by the University of Maryland and other kind of Western sources, that Raisi's popularity rating is actually uh, high. But um, we've, so, but the hardliners right now, they're at the cusp of really consolidating total power and really casting out their kind of moderate and reformist rivals from the system. We're, we're seeing right now that unlike in past presidential elections, the moderate camp is not even allowed to have a candidate that it really wanted to put forward, not even like their, their like third tier candidates, you know, like they've really been kind of really excised. And I think we're, we're set for this trajectory where it just, it, the hardliners are controlling all of the, very, the major kind of uh, centers of power. And um, a lot of the kind of very reactionary hardliners, and we can get into this later as well, like with the people who are the most anti-diplomacy with the West, who are the most kind of uh, trying to restrict the domestic environment. But these are the forces that are really kind of coming to the fore in a very dominant way in Iran. Mm-hmm. And um, we talked about how sort of these candidates are positioned in Iran's political structure within the different factions. But let's also talk about Iran's relations with the West and with the U.S. and how this election can potentially change or shift Iran's political direction even more. We knew the majlis, the parliament, uh, is now dominated by the hardliners, as you described in the previous election last year, with mass disqualification of reformist um, previous parliament, which was predominantly uh, controlled by moderates or reformist candidates is now shifted into a much more hardline parliament and with a potential hardline president, someone like Raisi. Um, let's talk about how you think that would change Iran's outlook to the West and then potentially to East and how it would also transform Iran's um, relations slash tensions with Washington. Yes, I think it's definitely going to affect Iran's uh, foreign policy. And unfortunately, one tragedy of U.S.-Iran relations these past several decades is there's often been a misalignment of leaders on both sides who are for diplomacy and trying to improve their relations. So, for example, you know, Mohammad Khatami, when he, the reformist president who was in power in the late 90s and early 2000s, he made many overtures to the U.S. and tried to improve relations. But, you know, the second half of his presidency overlined with uh, George W. Bush, who's, you know, neoconservative, trying to transform the Middle East, and he put Iran in the axis of evil. And that really dissipate, dissipated Khatami and, you know, helped bring to power uh, Ahmadinejad. And we saw that, you know, the one alignment there was really between pro-diplomacy forces on both sides was in uh, President Obama's second term, because President Obama's first term was Ahmadinejad, who was denying the Holocaust and engaging in all this kind of boisterous uh, rhetoric and anti-American rhetoric. But, you know, Rouhani came to power, you know, this pragmatic statesman wanting to, you know, talking about improving ties with the West and the U.S. and, you know, engaging in diplomacy. And and we saw, you know, diplomatic progress for the first time in decades. 
since before the revolution, U.S. and Iran, you know, the U.S. Secretary of State was meeting with the Iranian foreign minister. You know, we seemed, you know, many people thought that, you know, this we potentially on a path to normalizing the U.S.-Iran relationship. But then Trump came. Boom. You know, hardliner in the U.S., maximum pressure, you know, totally weakened and diminished Rouhani, put the countries back on the path to conflict and war. But now, you know, we've seen Joe Biden come to power. Similarly, kind of, you know, someone who understands Iran. He has a pro-diplomacy team. He wants to go back to the JCPOA. He's engaging Iran with the, in the negotiations with the JCPOA. And so there's this prompt, this seemingly looming kind of potential return to the nuclear deal, which could, again, lay the groundwork for kind of broader diplomacy, broader detente between the U.S. and Iran. But, you know, we have these Iranian elections, and it seems like a hardliner is going to come to power. So Ebrahim Raisi, if he does indeed win this base, which looks wins this race, which seems very likely. So when so you know he isn't a foreign policy guy, obviously. You know, it comes from the judiciary, but you know, that has not stopped him from commenting on foreign policy, obviously. And you know, the forces he's associated with as well are are, are very kind of uh, actively inter, you know intervene in Iranian foreign policy. So Raisi, to give you some examples, he said that, you know, unlike Laurie Johnny, for example, who recently said that, you know. He expressed an openness to, you know, even have negotiations with the U.S. beyond the JCPOA. Like if the JCPOA works out and America is meeting these commitments, Raleigh Johnny said that this could be, you know, some a test to see if, you know, further negotiations are possible. And he supported kind of engagement with the world and the West. But Ray Easy, for example, he's had quotes like, you know, we can't remove sanctions through uh, negotiations and we have to just, you know, tra- change our economy, you know, very more intransigent kind of just slogans about ruling out diplomacy. And I think it's very important to see who are the figures Raisi is associated with. And so his political camp, even these other hardliners who have been approved, who are going to be in the race, who are going to be in these debates supporting him, and who are actually most likely going to, you know, leave, withdraw in his favor before the vote and probably get senior posts in, in his administration. So these are, for example, Ali Zakani, this parliamentarian, Saeed Jalili, and Amir Hossein Ghazi Zadeh. And these are, you know, some of Iran's most anti-diplomacy with the West uh, kind of hardliners. And, you know, these are people who, like Zakhani, has, you know, pushed for the impeachment of Rouhani. And he said, you know, explicitly that, you know, all, all Iranian officials who support negotiations with the West, they should be impeached and removed from the system. Ghazi Zadeh, this other guy, has said the same. And so, you know, we're seeing this... <sighs> this kind of capture of total, you know, the executive branch in Iran by these kind of very anti-diplomatic forces. So, but, you know, Raisi himself is actually, these figures are actually to the right of Raisi, I, I would argue. Raisi himself, for example, in the 2017 presidential election said that the nuclear deal, the JCPOA is a national document that must be respected. So he said that in the 2017 election. You know, in the course of these Vienna talks these past couple of weeks, you know, to restore the JCPOA, Raisi has basically taken the same line as Khamenei, saying that if America goes back into the deal and abides by its commitments and we can verify that, that then Iran would go back into the deal. So, you know, Raisi winning the presidency, I don't think it's going to affect the nuclear Vienna talks. I think that that's still in motion. And, you know, that's a system-wide decision that Khamenei wants and Raisi has expressed support for. So that's going to go forward. I think what will happen, though, is that the the prospects for the, you know, the restoration of the JCPOA and kind of this, this momentum we're seeing right now, this diplomatic momentum, the prospects of that leading to broader detente between Iran and the West and even potentially the U.S. and for the JCPOA to be the floor and not the ceiling to kind of U.S.-Iran engagement, that's, that's most likely going to be lost. 
I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but if Raisi bling, brings people like Zakani and Saeed Jalili and Amir Hossein Ghazi Zadeh and this kind of more hardline camp, and uh, that's going to really harm, I think, Iran's potential to really have improved relations with the West, and they don't want it. You know, these hardliners do not want that. And, and I think Raisi also, given his, his, his very... Uh, his past of kind of all these human rights abuses that it will exacerbate Iran's isolation. I think when it comes probably to Iran's relations with Europe, that that's going to, you know, have Raisi at the helm is going to kind of hurt some of those relations. Although, you know, European leaders, they, they have perfectly fine relations with all these other brutal dictators and kind of, you know, whether it be the Egypt LCC or Mohammed bin Salman, but we'll have to see how that plays out. But, you know, he is, he's no, uh, He's not. His reputation is obviously very different than like a Rouhani or Ray, or a Zarif. And so finally, Sina, let's also talk about Iran's domestic uh, political scene and if a potential hardliner, specifically Ibrahim Raisi, becomes president, how that scene is going to change. We saw, especially in the years of maximum pressure, the past few years, uh, the economy has been crushed under sanctions and also the state has been very repressive in dealing with any form of dissent and civil society and taking a, a very securitized perspective when it comes to the political scene inside the country. And this disqualification is sort of a continuation of that, not allowing any prominent reformists or even moderates running for this election. Talk about how a potential Raisi presidency can shift Iran's domestic political scene. Yes. Yeah, so I think if past is pres- precedent, that's, you know, Raisi is set to be a kind of uh, a president who's going to further restrict the atmosphere, crack down on kind of rights, you know, potentially kind of uh, really scale back even, you know, some of the things that have opened up under Rouhani. But I think, you know, ultimately when it comes to this project that these hardliners and, you know, the Islamic Republic and what they presided over is, you know, at some point, you know, this is, you know, Iran is a pluralistic society. Iran is a diverse society. Many, you know, amongst the 85 million Iranians, obviously, you know, so many elements of this society are not represented in this government. So it really begs the question of, you know, with, with this direction that the Islamic Republic is going in right now, you know, doubling down, becoming more insular, more iron-fisted, more repressive. You know, how sustainable is this, you know, in the face of this society that, and, and, and the Iranian people who want greater rights and greater freedoms and, and, you know, are against this status quo. And I think, so Raisi's president, you know, they may have taken out the reformists, but, you know, the need for reformism or reforming the system is never going to be gone, you know, and for the own sustainability of this kind of, uh, of, of the country, you know. And I think, you know, Mostafa Tajzadeh, he actually, you know, this reformist dissident who was a former political prisoner for seven years, he had uh, in one of his recent clubhouses, and he, he made a nuanced point that I think is worth discussing. And he said, you know, with, you know, and this is someone who vociferously criticizes the Islamic Republic, calls for the freedom of all political prisoners, you know, atta- you know, criticizes Khamenei and the Guardian Council, very frankly. He said that the future of Iran is tied to the future of this system right now. And what he meant is that, you know, 
I think, you know, if I, if, if I can just kind of, you know, paraphrase some of what he was talking about, that, you know, if this system, you know, if Iran heads towards kind of total turmoil and kind of, you know, these people, I think, you know, these hardliners, they're not going to get out of power, just pack up their bags and leave, you know? And so I think Iran, you know, it could be potentially if these people are not kind of, if it doesn't reform to head towards this very volatile and period of kind of turmoil and potentially a lot of domestic unrest and God forbid civil war. So I think, um, I hope, you know, as someone who's of Iranian heritage and, you know, wants what's, you know, a better future for Iran and the Iranian people that, that uh, the Iranian people could come, you know, attain these rights and that it doesn't come down to this end of kind of the whole country's in territorial integrity and kind of the, the kind of the stability of the country really collapsing. And that's what really worries me at, at this juncture with this, this looming prospect of kind of, you know, the total consolidation of power by the most reactionary elements of the Islamic Republic. Mm-hmm. Well, we will be discussing and talking about Iranian elections in future episodes. And like I said, This is speculation, and a lot can happen between now and the June elections. But on that note, Sina, I want to thank you for joining the Iran podcast. Thanks a lot, Nagar. That was Sino Tusi, a senior research analyst at the National Iranian American Council here in Washington. And thank you for listening to another episode of the Iran Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Iran Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. You can also support the podcast by going to anchor.fm slash the Iran Podcast and clicking on support. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.